I'm not much of a dreamer, but it was Martin Luther King. He said, I have a dream. I, I think pastors have dreams sometimes, dream visions, hopes. We have visions of revival. We have hopes for that. I have a dream of revival. We have a dream of promise. And I think if we got down into kind of where we're living, we, we have a dream that people would bridge that gap between hearers and being doers of the word. And haven't we got a task list, a to-do list in the Holy Ghost over the last eight weeks about what God is intending for us to become by their fruits? Jesus said we, we would be known by the fruits that grow in our lives. And God has been challenging us not just to hear about love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, temperance, self-control we're going to talk about tonight. Not just to hear about it, but that we would become doers of those things how many want to be a doer that's part of our dream becoming a reality galatians 5 verse 22 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long-suffering gentleness goodness faith against such there is no law against such there is no law ushers are handing out our handouts you can go ahead and be seated pray God's blessing on the reading of his word and on the hearing of it and the preaching of it tonight as well. Someone say amen. So we're concluding tonight and we're talking about self-control. It's no accident that this facet of the fruit of the spirit is listed last or that love is listed first because between those two elements of the fruit of the spirit, all the others come into play and come into order in our lives. Everything that we do, someone say everything. Everything that we do has got to be based in love. Everything that our actions, our activity, our communication, our, our lives have got to be rooted in love. Love is that basis. If God is love, then our actions, our activities have got to be rooted in love. But in order for us to fulfill what God is calling us to do with the fruit of the Spirit and be with the fruit of the Spirit, we've got to bring another element into control called me. Someone say me. God is wanting us to control ourselves. So it's not just coincidence that we started with love, but we're ending, or that the Scripture ends these with self-control. Billy Graham wisely points out, he said, there are men who can control armies but cannot control themselves. There are men who by their burning words can sway vast multitudes, but who cannot keep silence under provocation or wrong. The highest mark of nobility is self-control. Anyone ever seen the queen lose her, lose her temper? No. Nope. It ain't going to happen. Has anyone ever seen pastor lose his temper? No. Nope. <laughs> Beverly? I can remember Pastor telling me a number of times when I was in my younger years, just put your head down and push. Get your fist down. Put your head down. Just put your head down and push. Don't, don't, let, see, see, don't let people see you lose control. There's something powerful about controlling yourself. Someone say self-control. Multitudes of, of people have self-control in, in some areas or one area of their lives, but in other areas of their lives, they are literally falling apart. It's only the Holy Ghost 
that can help us in all areas. And, and we talked about this a little bit, how that sometimes our, our personalities allow us to manifest different elements of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Sometimes people by nature, they're shy, so meekness can be perceived in their lives because it's part of their personality. But all of us have a fall down point. All of us have some part of our lives that, that under uh, scrutiny comes clearly to the surface that we need some work in that area of our lives. And it's only through the help of the Holy Ghost that we can become all of these things that God is calling. Someone believe, does anybody believe that you can be all of these things? That all these, these elements of the fruit of the Spirit can be at work in your life? Is any believer in the room? Some of you just don't believe it. I believe in you. I believe that you can become what God is calling us to be here. I wrote this in, in my notes and, and just kind of when I was reviewing everything and re reviewing everything, I, I said, if the fruit doesn't grow, it will surely show. Somewhere it's going to come out. Somewhere it's going to come undone. Somewhere you're, you're tightly wound uh, control over your life is going to loosen up if you're trying to do it all by yourself. So, so we, we're talking about self-control, but we're talking about self-control that's rooted in the fruit of the Spirit. Because some of you have control of yourselves, and then you try and control everybody else around you and everything else around you. You're just controllers by nature. That's not what we're talking about. Some of you think, I got this one checked off. No, no, we're not talking about you managing. We're talking about the Spirit allowing you to have self-control. Self-control. The Greek word translated self-control or temperance is a combination of two words, on kratos. On means in, kratos means strength, power, might, and dominion. And, and for all the power-hungry people in the room, we are talking your language. You want to power up and you get in a, in a group of people. You want to power up when you get in the midst of an environment where someone needs to speak up and speak out. You, that's just, that's your, that's your sweet spot. But before we get too far with that, Onkratos is someone who is ruled from within. Kratos has been passed into our English language with words like democratic, ruled by the people, theocratic, ruled by God, autocratic, ruled by self. So Onkratos, self-control, in your notes, the blank, a person with self-control is a person ruled from within. Not our power. But that power we spoke about just a moment ago, the power of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Ghost, that same power that, that enables you to become more than you are, that power can become the power that controls you. Self-control. It was Cain that we know. Cain, he offered the offering that didn't get received while Abel's offering was received. It was Cain who, who uh, in that moment where he was realizing that he had done something wrong or he had given something that was unacceptable he was in that, that place where it was, you know, the ego had been bruised. His jealousy was rising to the surface. All of that was happening. And, and Cain, the Lord said, and Cain, why are you wroth? Why are you mad? And why is your countenance falling? Fallen. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? If thou, if thou doest well, I think the next verse, guys, I don't know if I gave that to you, but verse 7. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, listen, sin lieth at the door. 
And unto thee shall be his desire. Uh, you know, sin is always lying at the door. And that is why we need to control our side, uh, ourselves. We can get upset. And let me just tell you what happens when we get upset or when we feel like, oh, we missed the bar. We haven't reached God saying, oh, why are you mad? Why are you upset? If you do well, you'll, you're going to be accepted. God's encouraging you to do well. But yet, on the other side, he, he gives us his warning. But if thou doest not well, sin lies at the door. And I'd like to remind us at the beginning of our lesson tonight that, that at the, on the other side of our out of control is sin that lies at the door. Sin's just waiting on the outside of you just losing control because he wants, he, he wants to, to gain control over your life. Sin is going to lie at the door of whatever your actions and your activities are. Sin is going to always lie at the door waiting for us to do poorly. But God has called us to self-control so that we can have control over sin. So sin doesn't have the opportunity to take control in our lives. We are given the option, you or sin, to control your life. Which is it going to be? You or sin. I, I, want, I want God, through the power of the Spirit, to control the actions in our lives. Amen? Amen. Galatians 5, verse 16, this I say then, walk in the spirit. Here's the alternative. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Many people think it's easier to yield to your urges than it is to have your desires under control. And it, it looks that way on the onset, doesn't it? Just to give in to everything, every desire, every, every little want, every, everything that just kind of urges you to do something, then you follow that road. And it, that seems like the easy thing. Until you follow that road very far. And that downfall, that sin that's lying at the door is waiting to take control in your life. And the end of that way is not easy. Let's talk about it in just a minute. Uh, many people think that it's easier to, to yield, but it's not. It's not easier. Proverbs 13, verse 15. Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressor, what does it say? It's hard. It's not easy. Given into sin may seem like it's easy. The pleasures of sin are for a season, but then life is going to get hard. Life's going to get much harder. When, when you look at the consequences of yielding to sin over time, the foolishness of that idea becomes painfully obvious because anything uncontrolled can harm you and your relationships. Let's, let's take a look. It's, it's here in your notes. Uncontrolled anger Ephesians 4 and verse 26 says, don't let, and don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Don't let the sun go down on, uh, while you're still angry, a mighty foothold for the devil, for anger gives a mighty foothold to him. God, God's saying, don't give over to anger. And, and I've said it before, but sometimes the, that moment where you just kind of let anger go, it can feel good. It can be, it can be a powerful moment, though, that anger. But uncontrolled anger brings great hurt and hardship. Uncontrolled lust. Uh, Proverbs, the uh, <clears throat> CEV version says, a woman who sells her love can be bought for as little as a, a price of a meal, but, but making love to another man's wife will cost you everything. If you just give in to uncontrolled lust, if you just yield to that desire, it, that may just seem like it's the easiest thing, but the end of that road is a very, very hard road. Uh, uncontrolled spending. It may just seem like um, Visa will love you, but just go ahead and spend it. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. People that have money, you ever notice that people that have money are the last people to spend it? Let's talk about 
Uh, these are just things that excesses, things that, that call for our, our desires, things that just kind of grasp our urge, urges are yielded. And we can see it in society and, and we can see it among people, but God's saying control yourself. Uncontrolled drinking. Wine is a mocker of man. Proverbs 23, verse 29 says, Who is always in trouble? Who argues and fights? Who has cuts and bruises? Whose eyes are red? Everyone who stays up late having just one more drink. Uh, I, you know, I, if you don't know, we don't agree with drinking of any kind. Some people say, well, oh, come on, now that's being legalistic. We'll talk about that in a minute too, but, but that's not legalism. Every time uh, wine is mentioned in the Word of God, and go ahead and give me the thumbs down if you want. Don't care. But every time that, that alcohol is mentioned in the Bible, it comes along with a negative connotation and negative activity. Something wrong happens. So my, my Jack's illustration is, you know, if someone came along and you had a, your three-year-old kid and they said, well, you know, that's a nice-looking dog, but every time anyone's around him, he bites. You say, well, I don't know if he'll bite my kid or not. Well, I don't know. I'm just telling you that everybody that's been around him, he's bitten them. Somewhere, if, if there's that many examples in Scripture of people that, that when they got drunk, messed everything up royally, God may be trying to tell us something. Steer clear. All right. I hope I'm not touching a nerve. Good heavens. I know what we're preaching about at Christmas time. But we, we see, you know, I, I talk to people scripture, outside of Scripture. Uh, alcohol ruined the previous generations in my family. So if I, if I never had a verse to back up not drinking, I'd say don't drink. Yeah, I, if, if, if nothing was in the Word about it being negative, if, not, if there was anything in the Word, if it didn't say that wine, if it said wine wasn't a mocker of man, I'd still say I'm steering clear of this stuff because it's done nothing but ruin lives. This is nothing but hurt people. I'm, a, I'm, way, I'm running way down one of them roads. Uncontrolled ambition. That's next. Part five. First Timothy chapter six, verse nine. People who want to be rich fall into all sorts of temptations and traps. They are caught by foolish and harmful desires that drag them down and destroy them. People want their needs taken care of, but then we go further. Uncontrolled ambition. Uh, the only words that I jotted in my notes were pyramid scheme. Get rich quick. Why is everybody so afraid of the alternative four-letter word that starts with W? Work. Work. Just work. Work. Take a break. Don't let work interfere with church. Amen. Preach it, Pastor Jack. We're, we must be, have the pile set a little too deep. I'm going to back it up here, but not before we talk about your uncontrolled tongue. James chapter 3, verse 5. So also the tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. A tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. It is a flame 
of fire. The tongue is a flame of fire. It's full of wickedness that can ruin your whole life. It can turn the entire course of your life into a blazing flame of destruction. For it is set on fire by hell itself. The tongue is a powerful tool. If it's left uncontrolled and it's, its only purpose is to hurt and destroy and, and you lash out and you don't build people up or you don't speak, the power of life or death is in your tongue. That's why God's saying control your tongue. Someone say self-control. Self-control. You know, there is great power in attending church regularly. We need to build that into our, our every week activity. There's a growing body of scientific evidence along with medical studies that have <clears throat> confirm and affirm that those who attend church regularly, regularly and are consistent with their faith are better off both physically and mentally. And uh, though he's not a professing Christian, Harvard professor Herbert Benson admits that humans are engineered for religious faith. They're wired for God. Our genetic blueprint has made believing in an infinite, absolute God part of our nature. And so when we build that into our lives, there is a part of you that believes. It believes in more than just what Walt Disney puts on film. There's a part of you that believes in an infinite God. Every man, every woman is given the measure of faith. You've got it. They've got it. Whoever they are have the ability to believe in God. And when you release yourself into that belief, then you take the hands off of, of what your ambitions are or your uncontrolled desires, all those elements. When you take your hands off of those and let God begin to control, something powerful happens in your life. There, there's other many factors that, that contribute to to this study that's been done, a, a study of the factors that contribute to healthy families found the following. 84% of strong families identified religion as an important contributor to their strength. Alcohol abuse is highest among those with little or no religious commitment. Nearly 89% of alcoholics lost interest in religion during their youth and then just went sideways. They found that there's an inverse correlation between religious commitment and drug abuse. And among young people, the importance of religion is the single best predictor of substance abuse patterns. Joseph Califano, uh, head of the Columbia University Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse, stated, Every individual I have met who successfully came off of drugs or alcohol has given religion as its key reason for rehabilitation. High, re high levels of religious commitment correlate with lower levels of depression and stress. In one Gallup poll, respondents with strong religious commitments were twice as likely to recite, re, re, describe themselves as very happy. Do you see the power of us being together? The power of us taking time. And, and I'm preaching to the choir. You're all here on Wednesday night. But I'm encouraging you to make this a part. If you're, if you're online with us, but you're not in the room with us, I'm encouraging you, do whatever you can to be here with us. There's there's a powerful correlation to us being together in the house of God and believe there's something powerful that happens in lives. It said that Christians with religious experiences are far less likely to experience mental disorders than their secular counterparts. Why? Because the one essential feature of all types of depression is, feel is a feeling of hopelessness and Christians are never without hope. I've got hope when trouble comes my way. I have hope, oh glory, since Jesus has come to stay. 
I have hope, oh yes. Hear it. When things are not well with me, I have hope. It's a beautiful hope. And that sets me free. If you got hope, Christians have hope. We've got hope beyond this world. We've got hope beyond this grave. We've got hope on the other side. We've, we've got hope here, but we've got hope over there. Amen? We've got hope. We don't live without hope. We are not hopeless. We can never describe our scenario as hopeless. We have hope. We've got hope today. People who, uh, who don't attend church are four times more likely to commit suicide than those who frequently attend. And a lack of church attendance correlates more strongly with suicide rates than any other risk factor. Church is a powerful place to be. I've got, I've got about six more points, but I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and skip past some of those because I was running rabbit trails earlier. But in your blanks, in your notes, self-control is not only a good idea, it's God's idea. Self-control isn't just a good idea, it's God's idea. It's not just self-improvement. That's, that's all kinds of reading on that, all kinds of online information about that. It's not just about self-improvement. Self-control is about controlling who we are. It's not an attempt to, to make things better, things better, but it's rather an expression of appreciation to God for his great salvation and trusting God that if we follow God's plan for our life, if we follow God's rules, if we stay between the lines, then God is going to allow us to become what he's called us to be and grow the fruit of the Spirit. Second Peter said this, chapter 1, verse 3, we have everything we need to live a life that pleases God. It was all given to us by God's own power when we learned that he had invited us to share in his wonderful goodness. God made great and marvelous promises so that his nature would become part of us. Then we could escape our evil desires and the corrupt influences of this world. God has a plan for our life to escape our own evil desires and the corrupt influences of the world. God intends for us not to be ensnared, not to be tripped, trapped, not to be held back by the evil desires of the world, but God intends for us to overcome them. And that happens when we have, someone shout it, self-control. Okay, two principles from the word of God that will help us understand and practice self-control. Number one, feelings. Feelings. Feelings can be ignored. Feelings can be ignored. Thank God feelings are not faith. Thank God feelings are not even fact. Thank God feelings are just feelings. Feelings can be ignored. Yeah, but you don't know how I feel. You're right. Ignore it. I don't know, I don't, I don't need to quote it again. If I, I've quoted it so many times, you can quote it with me. But three men were walking on a wall, feeling faith and fact. Feeling took an awful fall, so faith was taken back. Faith stood too close to feeling, so he fell too. But fact remained and pulled faith up, and that brought feeling too. Your feeling is on the, it's the caboose of your life, not the train. It's not the, what's the one up front? The engine. I knew, I was just seeing if you're awake. 
So many people, you got the feelings out in front. Put the feelings at the back. The feelings will come when you start doing the right thing. Here's where we need to start. Let's start with the facts. Let's start with the fact. And then if you get God's word at work, faith comes along with the fact. When you get God's faith and God's facts in order, your feelings, your feelings are going to come along. Your feelings should be ignored. I like to be excited. I like, to, I like that feel-good feeling too. But the reality is, is the enemy is going to work in that realm of our feeling. And that's, that's what we need to ignore the most. Emotions can certainly add a spice to life, but people who depend on their feelings to determine what kind of day they're going to have, to become, they need to become more self-controlled. Because if you're waiting for your feeling to determine what kind of a day you're going to have, guess what? We're all in trouble. But if you can let this start your day, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get things in order. Your feelings are going to come along for the ride when you get God's word active and engaged in your life. So how does that happen? We tell ourselves. Instead of ourselves telling us, we control ourselves. Self-control. Society constantly bombards us with the idea of following our feelings and everything from sex to spending. Advertisers aim at our emotions, convincing us that we need something new to be happy. People fall in and out of love. They have good and bad days. They decide to go to work or they decide not to go to work just because they can't get into it emotionally. That's not what needs to lead you. You lead you. Not how you feel. It's not a self-help book, but studies show that people, uh, how they expect to feel determines how they do feel. So guess what? If you can get up and get God's word working in your life, and maybe, maybe don't start with lamentations. <laughs> You're just reading right into it. Find something that uplifts you, encourages you, pushes you. Don't, don't let your emotions rule your day. Let your God determine. He's got great things in store for you today. God's not even finished in this day. God's got a plan for you. We will have uh, improper feelings from time to time that urge us to do something that's physically, mentally, or spiritually harmful. But, but <clears throat> temptation often feeds on our feelings. So don't let your feelings rule your day. Let God's word, let prayer, let him rule your day. That's where we must win the battle against sin and behavior that can push our lives out of control. The Bible in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 12 in the NIV version says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no, someone shout no, no. to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, there's that word, self-controlled, upright, and, and godly lives in this present age. God's spirit helps us to say, no, I won't do that. No, I'm not going there. No, I'm not going to follow that path. No, I'm going to become what God is calling me to be. Sometimes God just expects for us to say no. The fruit of the Spirit is hidden so deep within us that it's, it's unseen. But if we just let it rise to the surface, God can help us to become what he intends for us to be. 
Number two in your handouts, ditches can be avoided. Ditches can be avoided. Stay out of the ditch. Winter's coming. Thank God for salt and sand trucks, but some of you are hopeless. Ditches can be avoided. I, I'm remembering right now, we were, we were to visit Brent and Pam when, this isn't, isn't in my notes, so I'll take two minutes off my teaching. <clears throat> we were at Brent and Pam's once, and, and uh, we were visiting. We were backing out of their driveway, and you know how something just doesn't feel right? It really wasn't right. I hit the brakes, and when I hit the brakes, I was right on the corner of the ditch and the edge of their driveway, so much to the point that when I touched the brakes, the front left tire came off the ground. And I was like, if I, so literally, we, I called, is Brent Cole here today? He's, out, he's, he's ushering. Pam, you were there. I called, I called in to Brent and Pam, and I said, can you guys come out and sit on the hood of my car? Because if we, if I get out, I'm going to mess up this tender balance that we've got going on right now. So they did. They came out and sat on the front of the car and we drove back in the driveway. That's it. <clears throat> Ditches can be avoided. Thank God. Thank God for, uh, you know, I, we've got a, a newer vehicle. And uh, our newer vehicle, it has what they call lane keep assist. LKA. I know that the new Teslas have self-driving features. It's still, I don't need one of those. I mean, I do, but I don't. <laughs> I do need it because I think it would help me be a better driver. I don't need it because I might be one of those guys that puts the seat back and goes to sleep. <laughs> they've been talking about that a little bit lately. But, <clears throat> you know, those newer vehicles, they've got... And from what I understand, they've got little radars in the front, and they can read the road, but more than that, they read the lines. They can read the lines, because when I, you know, I, I, the lane keep assisted, it's engaged, and it gives you the little signal to tell you that it's engaged. It kind of knows where the road is, and, and if, you, if you're steering or you're veering off to the side, it gives a little, and the steering wheel gives a little shake, and then it comes back on, and, and uh, so it's, it's good. I, I, I like it. I, I like it. I use it whenever I'm, I'm driving our, our CRV, and and, um, and then, you know, then there's times when it's off and, and then I have the other, the other lane keep assist, or lane Kathy assist. <laughs> and thank God for that one, because that one works good. <laughs> that one can read the lines. That one can read my mind. <laughs> that one can. So, <clears throat> personal freedom is like the highway that has ditches on each side. Theologians would call one ditch on, on the one side, we'll say the right side, legalism. And, and then on the other side, the left side, that would be licentiousness. The rest of us, when we're not using big theological terms, would, would use the word legal, uh, would, would say law on the right and loose living on the left. Legalism restricts freedom to the point of bondage and licentiousness celebrates freedom to the point of bondage because that's where you end up when you follow that path indefinitely. That's where the drugs that are so beautiful at the beginning become a trap at the end and that's where legalism, you can follow that road too far and it becomes just nothing but bondage and control and people that don't have a life in Christ on their own 
So it's, it's somewhere between those two ditches that we need to stay. And self-control is that line that runs down the middle of the road, the center of the highway that keeps us balanced between the two extremes. And, and I, I do, and I'm not being smart tonight. I thank God that we get shot at from both sides. We get shot at from the legalism side and we get shot at from the licentious side. But that just reminds us that we're somewhere. We, I like what Brother Tenney said. Um, you got the right wing and you got the left wing, but there isn't a bird that can fly with one wing. You got to be in the middle. And self-control is, is balanced between those two extremes. And as much as, as much as the church would love to be the lane keep assist in your life, as much as the church, as much as we would love to be that voice that's constantly uh, steering your, or, or that, that's automatically steering your life, you have got to be the one to control the steering wheel of your own life. That's why you need, that's why we need self-control. Because we can't do it for you. As much programming as we build and, 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 and as much as we, we do to, to make sure the lines are clear, you have got, you have got to steer your own life. You, I can't steer it for you. I, I can't reach over and grab the wheel as much as I would love to, as much as we would love to, and, and we'll try, we'll, we'll, we'll encourage, and we'll preach, and we'll teach, but, but you, you have got to steer your own life. Nobody can grab your steering wheel and drive your life. You have got to do that on your own. It's self-control. It's, it, it's not lane keep assist. It's self-control. You have got to steer your life. Self-control means, in your handouts, I say no to all that God forbids. We can come back to the music tonight. In your handout, I say yes to all that God commands. I say no to all that is a hindrance, even when it's not forbidden. I say yes to all that is a blessing, even when it's not commanded. Because in, in Scripture, we, this isn't just some CCC idea that we have two sides to, to every road. We've got two ditches that run down the whole length of our lives. That, that's not our idea. That's, that's an idea that you find in the Word of God. And Galatians 5.13 describes it a little bit. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Not, uh, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So we do have that. We've got liberty. But we've got requirements as well. In 1 Corinthians, Paul gives us uh, several principles to, to help us make decisions in questionable areas of our lives. He said all things are lawful, but... So, so right, we, 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 we've got the left side, but we, we've also got the right side. We've, we've got to bring it between the lines. Here are five questions, but here are five questions that need to be answered before you make decisions on where you're steering your life. If I've got the freedom to make my own decisions, here's what I have to ask myself. Number one, will they lead into freedom or will they lead into slavery? Where is that road taking me? Because it will. I can't stop. I can't stop traveling this road. We've got to travel this road until we're finished. We've got to carry on. You can't, you can't put the car in neutral coast to the side. You've got to keep on going. But where is the road you're on going to lead you? Is it going to lead to freedom or to slavery? All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful unto me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. All things may be lawful, but all things may not be right or good.
So here's, here's the second question. Will, will they make me a stumbling block or a stepping stone to somebody else? 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, but take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that hour weak. We've got to be so careful because there are people coming along behind us and there may be some things you can handle, but it may be a stumbling block and causes someone to lose out with God. And, and Jesus was pretty clear about that. He said, you may as well tie a millstone around your neck and hop off the Princess Margaret if you cause one of these to stumble. So be careful and be cautious. Is, is this going to be a stumbling block for someone else? I have to answer that question on this road I'm on because that's going to help keep me between the lines. Will they build me up or will they tear me down? Is this activity, if all things are lawful and all, but all things are not expedient, is this going to build me up or at the end of the day, am I, am I going to be less than what I was in Christ or am I going to become what God is calling me to be. Where? That's what really matters. This road, this road that we're on, it's a journey. But I want to get closer to home every day. I don't want to be, I don't want to miss the mark. I don't want to miss this, the highway signs that are saying we're getting so close to home. I don't, I don't want to miss that. I want to stay between the lines. This activity, this, this idea, this, this, this draw on my spirit, is it going to please me or is it going to glorify God? 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all in the glory of God. Is it, is it bringing glory to God? Is this activity going to bring glory to God? And, and, and Paul was saying, even if you're eating or drinking or whatever you're doing, do it all in the glory. So is it bringing God glory or is it just bringing satisfaction to my flesh? What is it doing? So fifth final question that we can use to help govern this steering wheel of our lives. Will this help to win the lost to Christ or will it turn them away? Man, that's some heavy stuff. When we realize our actions don't impact just us, our activity impacts our community. Our activity impacts our family. Our activity impacts what's happening around us God, help us to control ourselves. First Corinthians 10, 33, Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. An incredible responsibility we have. And our actions have impact the way we use our personal freedoms, the way that which, whichever, whichever side of the road we're steering towards shows if we have the Holy Ghost living inside of us, if we can keep it between the lines. We, we need to keep it between the lines. We need to, to steer our lives. We need self-control. Someone say self-control. Just before he lists the fruit of the Spirit that we've been talking about for the past eight weeks in Galatians, Paul lists the works of the flesh. We have the fruit that's so powerful, but the warning signs come because Paul's saying, don't, don't let the works of the flesh kill your spiritual life. You want to grow the fruit of the Spirit? Don't kill your spirit with the works of the flesh. If you want the fruit of the Spirit to grow, to grow, then you have to mortify the deeds of the flesh. You've got to kill those things. 
So he gives them to us. He names them. We'll name them tonight. Galatians 5, verse 19 to 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, when you're steering off the road, your lives will produce these evil results, sexual immorality, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, participation in demonic activities, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, divisions, the feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your own little group. And that's going for both sides. <laughs> Never mind. In every little group, drunkenness, wild parties, other kinds of sin. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. We have got to be so careful that we don't, don't, someone shout don't, don't follow after those sinful works of the flesh. But yet in our society today, that's basically the way of life. That's why. That's why we need each other. That's why we need God. That's why we need the Holy Ghost at work in our lives. The fruit comes from the Spirit at work in us. I have so much appreciated and enjoyed going through this series with so many others that have helped us. Galatians 5 and 16 says this, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Our challenge, what we go back to the very beginning, the dream that we have is that we become doers of the word, that we walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Someone say amen. I'm so thankful for everyone that's helped us in teaching. Uh, Kathy taught us on joy. Uh, Brother Nick Sisko taught us on peace. Sister Darlene Wilson on patience. Brother Tony McAfee talked to us about kindness. Brother Jonathan McNair on goodness. Brother David Curtis preached to us about faithfulness. And Sister Beverly last week talked about meekness. Tonight we're talking about temperance and, and self-control. We, we've got a great, a great to-do list ahead of us. But I'm so grateful for a church that says that is who we want to become. Amen? Amen. As we're, as we're standing together... We're going to sing a chorus, and then we're going to, I think we're going to have a baptism, from what I understand. And Pastor, he kind of left out the punchline. I'll, I'll get to do the punchline. Little, his granddaughter, Clara, is going to be baptized tonight. So now you may know why he said, I'm not finished yet. He still had a little bit of celebrating to do about how great God has been and how great God is and how great God is going to be. We're going to celebrate that baptism in just a moment, but I wonder as they're preparing for that baptism, if we could begin to lift our voice and just talk to God for a moment. Maybe, Kathy, you can lead us in a, lead in a song and, and we'll just take a moment and let the word settle in our spirit. Would you take a minute and pray about what God brought to us in the word tonight? Could you do that together with us? Let's sing.